Welcome to The Refuge, a CERC podcast to share our research with practitioners and communities. I'm your host, Israel, and my guests today are Aniet Maduk Manion, who came to Canada from the Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya uh, in January 2022. She was studying pharmacy in the medical college and did two years before relocating. She's currently working while waiting to return to college. And we have Ruben Garang, the executive director of Immigrant Prat partnership in Winnipeg. Um, he previously worked for the government of Manitoba as a policy analyst and community outreach advisor. And Dr. Susan Brigham, a professor in the Faculty of Education at Mount St. Vincent University. Her research includes immigration, diversity, um, adult and higher education, and gender. Thanks for coming to The Refuge today. Thank you. Thank you. So um, today we'll be talking about um, interrupted schooling, and I want to start with you, uh, Susie. Could you share a bit of what your understanding of interrupted schooling is? Yes, thank you, Israel. Um, really, it, it's when someone's schooling experiences are being interrupted, particularly uh, young people, likely between the ages of 5 and 18, so this could be a matter of a few days, it could be a matter of a few months, or it could even be a year or more. And so um, it is a phenomena that is going to have an impact on a child, particularly a child who's moving from one country to the next or from one location to the next. It will impact, have a long-term impact potentially uh, when their schooling is disrupted in terms of literacy, scores in mathematics and science, etc. So it is a significant phenomena that I think uh, more research has to be done on this. Mm. Um, speaking of research, Ruben, could you share some of your knowledge of, of your research so far on interrupted schooling? Yeah, for sure. This research was done by a, a person named Nicole Jawad, um, published in 2020. And that's looking into the experience of the older youth with an interrupted background. Uh, people that struggle not only with the challenges of the language, but a bit with academic. And, and, and so variety of things, and including the, their, uh, their uh, you know, navigating new systems, new way of life, new everything. Finding was that, uh, you know, um, that the youth themselves, even though they're struggling uh, to succeed academically, um, they have also, uh, a, you know, shown resilience in terms of trying to adapt. So, uh, so they, they come also with their own strengths of uh, uh, facing the challenges that they, 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 you know, they are encountering. Um, so that's one of the things that was found. Uh, the other finding very much uh, attuned to the situation here in Winnipeg, that there is a lack of a transitional support. Uh, you know, in some places there are schools designed to help uh, use with interrupted schooling transition from one point to the other so that they could accumulate 
academic courses that they need, but also have a wraparound support that will enable them to succeed in their life. So, um, so I'm not gonna, you know, um, talk about all of those, but I think the a quick thing that were recommended for this idea of um, uh, developing a transitional uh, programming that will allow the youth to explore ranges of um, options for them to be able to get where they wanted to get go to, including vocational training. Uh, the other thing that was recommended was the that the learning has to be integrated, and that is that um, you know uh, there should be a strong communication uh, to make sure that students know what they are entering into. Like mm -hmm. I mentioned last time, that uh, here in Manitoba, for example, they have what they call e-credit courses that they gain from uh, high school that they finish with, but sometimes they struggle to advance for further studies using those credits. Mm -hmm. And they also talk about um, uh, enhanced school and community collaboration. That is the idea of uh, ensuring all elements of the need of the new of the of the student to be considered and and school alone cannot do that it has to be a work of a community including supporting their parent uh, you know languages translation and mental health all those wraparound support that the student needs hmm. yeah and yet um what is your own personal experience of interrupted schooling when we got called like we were going to come to canada that the time that I realized that my academic journey is going to be interrupted. So my problem was a mental stress because I was going to finish like uh, this year because I did two years in my pharmacy. And when I came here, the system was different, totally different. Everything was really different and that I had to start again. Mm. So having to see that I have struggled for two years in a medical, medical college, and now when I was about to finish here, it's like I'm back to square one. And when I look at my age and my academic life, it's stressful because I'm older than the, the, the way that I had planned for my own life. Like at a certain age, I knew I should have finished my pharmacy and do something else. But now at this age, I'm here again, starting from square one. Mm. And when I look around, I see all my age mates, they're all in school, they're all working. They are doing things and it made me feel like I was different. I cannot fit in. I was so like someone who cannot come into the groups of these people who are already in school because I'm not in school. So I look at myself as someone who a little lower than those people. And this one made me to have like a mental conflict and at one point, 
I could feel like I was giving up. It was like there was no point. Things like everything is coming to an end to me because I value my academic a lot and I like to study and I wanted to finish my career in medicine. But now it's totally gone and I have to start from nowhere again. So when I I came here, I got introduced to ISENSE and I went to ISENSE and I got uh, I got information about the IYEP program, that is the Immigrant Youth Employability Program, that is actually offered to students with uh, interrupted schoolings, and those who because there were some participants who came from different countries like Syria, and some of these people had already done their courses, like they had degrees, but they did not do English in their country. So when they came here, it was like nothing. So we were, we were all in the same class and we had different experience. Though we got interrupted school, uh, schooling, the experience was different. So IYP was an option for me that made me feel like everything was not over. Mm. Yeah, there is there is still hope, and I can still get access to my career and start at the entry level. And so I IYP like prepared me and the rest of the students to break these barriers in Canada because when we came here we knew and there's a lot of things that we need to know, and they taught us a lot of cultural things here, like the workplace, what is required, and everything else, a lot of information. And I I was like, okay, here, I still have hope. Hmm. And I actually believe that as long as there is hope, as long as there is an entry level, then there is a solution to this problem. It might have caused me mental distress, but I can still catch up. Mm. Not with my aid mates or my friends, not at the same speed, not not that I'm going to finish like the way they're going to finish soon, but still, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to school and I will have to start, but I will have more experience and a foundation where I started my uh, my cause or my career in healthcare. Susie, um, Anyera shared an experience, and one thing I've noticed is it's like everyone has a different experience of this. But what are some challenges, or did you see any common challenges in in uh, from what you found out during your research? Yes, yes. Um, I didn't really get to mention the research that I have been doing is here in Halifax and. Halifax is what we might call a mid-sized city. So what we're finding in Canada across the country, there are more and more newcomers, including refugees, um, coming to these mid-sized cities. So my study is picking up in an area that hasn't really had a lot of focus simply because it's Halifax. But um, we were able to interview in a qualitative study 23 young folks who have refugee experience. 
And uh, most of them were women, young women and girls. Uh, so 20 out of the 23 were would identify as women and girls. And just three were um, boys or men. And they were between the ages of 16 and 26. So it has, like you say, a lot of what Aniat has been talking about was reflected in some of the findings that we um, have been hearing about through the stories of the young people we interviewed. And there were several themes, and some of them uh, are, as Aniat had talked about, the, the psychological, the trauma, the stress, um, concern about getting back into the school system, or, you know, if it's not the school-based system, but the post-secondary level. And um, that, of course, I think is often missing in terms of supports for young people. And that happens at the school level as well as at post-secondary. And then those who are in between, in the transitioning. So again, I think what Aniette shared is reflective of uh, the participants here because Folks like um, at ISANS, which is the Immigrant Settlement Association of Nova Scotia, um, they and, the, and many other settlement agencies across the country, they play such a key part in those transitioning years because young people, when they're finished at a certain age, when they finish schooling, they're often just moved out. If you hit the age of 18, then you're no longer the responsibility of the school system. And there are some adult education classes that you could access through government but or even through like a community college. But uh, it, once you're out of the school system, it becomes very tricky then to find your way back into post-secondary, to, to find your way through that transitioning period of going from high school into um, post-secondary, whether it's college or university. But language, um, I know Annette doesn't have that concern but a lot of our participants did have the concern of not having English as a first language and the struggles that the young people faced when they were put into school systems here in Nova Scotia, uh, the lack of supports for either translation or, you know, helping them to ease into the school with, with additional stress, but then also trying to communicate. And so some of our young people talked about relying on their peers so one young man was from Syria and he said he found someone from Egypt and he found someone from Saudi Arabia. They're completely different countries with, you know, slightly different, um, I guess, pronunciations and different, you know, they're speaking Arabic, but different kind of Arabic. But the, uh, the reliance that they had on their peers for support because the school system itself wasn't providing that kind of support that they were requiring. So, yeah, language was certainly one of the key issues. Um, and I know and yet didn't talk about the gender, but we found this is a big piece of the research as well, was the, uh, the differences between boys and girls. And a lot of the young women and girls talked about the responsibilities at home and that, you know, when they, they didn't have as much time for homework, uh, the responsibilities for preparing meals, for cleaning up, for helping their younger siblings for um, helping their parents, either translating with parents at, uh, you know, when they go to appointments, healthcare appointments, etc. There seemed to be a lot more from what, I, what we found. There was a lot more stress put on girls in terms of the expectations 
that they would do more in terms of chores around the house, which impacted, on top of the stress, impacted their academic achievement level. So I think that certainly was one that uh, I wanted to highlight. Um, there are other barriers too, and that was around the subjects that they had to take. A lot of uh, our youth had, some of them had good, strong backgrounds in such things like mathematics. And then when they came into the school system here in Nova Scotia, there was an assumption that they couldn't handle a certain level of math because they couldn't speak English. So they were sort of treated like a one-size-fits-all homogenous group, when in fact they're not. They have different strengths, they have different needs, but they were often sort of relegated into one sort of group. And um, uh, some of our, student, our young people expressed frustrations with not, given the, not being given the chance to prove their academic abilities in things like maths and sciences um, and the frustration of being assumed that you don't know very much only because they were struggling with English. Israel, if it's okay, I'll just add one more theme and it was around the sense of belonging and the uh. struggles. Yes, a lot of the young folks talked about really not feeling like they belonged in the school system in Nova Scotia and um, some of them mentioned it, maybe it was the way they dressed, maybe it was the fact they couldn't speak English, maybe um, they talked about their race. And so one person says, um, I don't relate to the school because I'm different in color. And also I'm different in my clothing. What I wear, you know, cultural clothing and maybe the color of the clothing. And a young person also said that she was the only black person in the classroom. And she said, the kids would run away from me and, I, and they would push back. And uh, you can't make friends and stuff because no one would talk to me. And there's no one from your country or anything. So she said, I felt very lost. So I think that's another uh, key barrier that that is uh, something yeah. worth discussing. No, those are just, I can't even imagine um, facing those sort of challenges. And I know even from such a small number, you had this huge um, amounts of themes coming up from your research. Um, I was wondering, Ruben, something that keeps coming up is trauma and mental health. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what you found out? There's there are quite a number of things that I could say these days that might not be like, you know, from my own personal point of view, it might not be agreed by many people that actually cause trauma or increase trauma among the student who is interrupted in schooling. Uh, I would say that um, if, if you're coming from a refugee background and you've been told about the opportunity to come to the West, coming to Canada, it's always in your mind that as if you are going somewhere really close to a paradise and that everything will be very easy when you come here. You get the education that you want. You will catch up if you lost years of studies. You find a job if you don't... Um, you know, and, and, and also go to school. Um, you know, it's always like that when you vision it before you arrive. And then when you arrive, then the reality of life kicking. Uh, you know, not everybody succeeds in going to school. Not everybody succeeds in finding jobs. And there are challenges and expectations of people coming from refugees, from families that have been uprooted, you know, uh, are expected back 
home or had refugee come to provide support to the loved ones. So combine problems that sometimes triggered your old trauma that comes with you because of the experience that you had in your country of the war of loss of relative or, you know, um, being forced to leave your family or your everything that you know and loved and then go to a place where you don't even know where you're going, that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience because I left my home when I was young and, you know, went to another country, walked miles and, you know, not knowing where I was going and leaving the thing that are familiar with you with, without your intention is always challenging. So what I wanted to say is that here, there's, there's, there's all sources of why people are traumatized. Mm. It's all the thing that I said. It could be something that come from with you back home, something that you experienced here because when you struggled and you don't um, see what you were hoping to see, it caused a lot of uh, mental health problems like Agnes has narrated it earlier. So it's a, it's a combined problems and it's big. And it's also a problem because mental health is something that we are not even doing well here in the West in terms of uh, dealing with it. And let alone people that are young coming here and get lost in the system, it become a compound problem because they don't access services. And some of our cultures also stigmatize trauma. And so people don't talk about it. And when you are isolated and lost and not talking about it, and then it doubled. And so it's a big problem among the students and also their families. Yeah. Um, and yet, so you had this experience, moved to Canada, and I don't know if you finished the IYEP program, but that has been a positive type of support for you. Are there any other type of supports you believe you need? Uh, yeah. I actually finished my IYEP on 23rd of August. Oh, nice. And I will be going for my work placement uh, next month at a hospital. And because Congrats. that is where my my specialty is, like in, in health. And I will say yes, because the main problem is in the brain. Because if your brain keep thinking that others are in school, you are not in school, and you have to start again, that is stress. Mm -hmm. But when you have to look differently, which needs someone to tell you that, because talking from my part, I came here and I could feel like, I mean, I could feel like I was going crazy. Mm -hmm. On my own, I had no one to ask. I came with my nephews and niece and they had the same experience their school got interrupted they went to school and they were placed in classes that they had not studied back in africa those are classes which are ahead of them they were supposed to go after a year and so whatever they were learning in school was difficult they had no idea about it and they would come to me and say these are things that we never learn and because I did my high school and I was familiar 
with all the chemistry and all the mathematics, I will sit down and show them. And also, English is a problem with them because back home, they will speak Kiswahili and there was no problem speaking Swahili. But here, they had to speak English, which was a problem to them. And again, back home, they used to dress in uniform. Here, people just dress like casual. And so they felt like they were not, this system wasn't for them. Like the way people dress, they don't dress the same way. And they want to dress like them. It will take time for them to to have that, that kind of dressing or to get along with people and get to know English. So when they come home, they feel like they don't want to school to go to school again the following day. And I will sit down, talk with them, and explain things. That was good for them, it helped them. And right now they are integrated. But when it came to my side, I had no one to turn to. Mm. And one time I had to ask uh, my coordinator at ISENS, and I said, do you guys have like a counselor? Someone who can counsel people? Because I really needed that. I couldn't like I couldn't give myself uh, that energy to speak to myself and say, "Oh, we we can do this and look differently." I mean, mm-hmm. look at different point apart from like we are not in school. So I thought like I I fail, but I need support. I need someone to talk to me. And she told me, "Yes, we have," but I didn't get an access to a counselor. And because I was too new and asking again and again would feel like I was bothering someone. Mm-hmm. So the thought of like you're bothering them just clouded my brain. And I was like, okay, let me just leave it. If nothing has been done, then fine. Let me find different ways. So right after now, I can I can like say I'm okay. I still need someone to talk to me. Like I can try on my own, but sometimes you just need someone to tell you things that you might not know. Yeah. They can explain and give you a bigger picture, like education is not the only thing and they have to make it in a way that will make you feel like, for real, it is not the only thing, but all is not lost. So yes, I still believe I need support and it's in counseling mostly counseling yeah yeah i i see you nodding susie um you mentioned earlier about some recommendations that you noticed could you start by sharing some of the things you were nodding about and then talking about the recommendations yes thank you so much and uh it's um and yet it's um very very helpful to hear your direct story and it is it's fantastic that you were able to self-advocate for yourself. And unfortunately, it still hasn't resulted in what you need. And uh, I think Ruben had also talked about the trauma. And that is a significant reality for so many of the newcomers, particularly those who've come from country to country to country, so not just direct. And and I, I wanted to add about the gendered aspect of trauma some of our participants had experienced crossing borders and being very, very vulnerable as a young person and as a young woman or a girl um, experiencing things like sexual assault or rape and uh, also pregnancy, early pregnancy, a pregnancy that wasn't planned. 
and how that on top of existing traumas and stress, that again, once you make it to um, a school in Halifax, the pregnancy will then again uh, have an impact on interrupted schooling. So yeah, I just wanted to add that uh, to, I guess, fill out that that important point about trauma. And I think there is where a, a huge recommendation can be made because the teachers in school systems are often the you know, frontline workers, so to speak, um, and gets to know the child, the young person who, who comes into the classroom, there's a significant opportunity in the schools to have experts, to have people look and understand, look for and understand different um, signals and just trying to understand how trauma uh, presents itself differently from one person to the next. But having experts on staff uh, that can be quickly turned to. In addition to that, I feel that um, people who go through the Bachelor of Education program that uh, become teachers, they would benefit significantly from having a particular type of education to prepare them for having newcomers, including refugees, in their classrooms. So a BED program, wherever it's located across the country, ought to be, and some of them are, uh, but really ought to be considering this as a significant group of individuals that they may have in their classrooms and be better prepared for understanding specific refugee challenges and looking out for those things that we mentioned, like trauma. Um, I also think, uh, from what I've heard from the participants, a lot of them loved the teachers and said the teachers in the school systems were so patient and so kind. They they were very they seemed to be um, you know very open, uh, but at the same time they felt that in addition to them being friendly and patient, there was still a sense that they weren't being understood by their teachers that that there was assumptions being made about them or that uh, their their needs were not being addressed in ways that should be obvious, but the young people didn't and couldn't necessarily self-advocate, and perhaps even the parents weren't able to, to advocate for their young ones to get special help, to, uh, to get counseling. And not every culture has embraced the idea of counseling, so um, that it may be looked at as a bit suspicious or you know unnecessary, but again, that would be something that experts could really work with, and particularly in the school systems, um, in these uh, settlement agencies, like in this case, ISANS, and also looking at post-secondary institutions. Uh, some of our participants are at university, and we interviewed them at the university, and they have expressed similar kinds of frustrations with not being able to have their needs met or assumptions by the professors that they are able to, you know, do online learning, particularly during the pandemic, um, that they can quickly type in on their laptops responses in the chat box, which is the way a lot of classes were being taught during the pandemic. Um, and then, of course, I think the gendered policies, any policy has to be looked at through a gendered lens. And I think there's uh, a good recommendation that I would like to reinforce is this idea of looking at any kind of a policy through that, like educational policy, um, settlement 
agencies, any policies that they have, recognizing that pregnancy is going to impact those who are pregnant in a way that is going to be disruptive. So um, always finding and understanding barriers that has to be understood through through a gendered lens. Um, and I, I mentioned to you about belonging, and I think the friendships, a lot of our participants talked about friendships. And to me, and actually Agnette had talked about it as well with her uh, nieces and nephews, the importance of having people who can say to you, oh, this is how we do it, and this is, you know, the latest clothes, because even that can be an issue. Like, well, what should I be wearing? Um, you know, unfortunately, that's, that is unfortunate when a, when a young person feels they have to change what they wear and how they speak and how they walk. That's very unfortunate when a person feels they have to change so much in order to so-called fit in. They're almost looking at their culture as something that's not valued. So again, I think the schools can play a key role in trying to um, really reinforce the importance of difference and diversity and that that could be embraced. It doesn't have to be something to be embarrassed about and that we can all come to school looking differently and and to respect that and honor that. So um, I, I think the social spaces, whether it's inside schools or if it's the community groups, but there's ways that we could bring young people together, Canadian-born children, um, newcomers, including refugees, bringing folks together so that they have opportunities to to get to know one another, whether it's through sports, extracurricular. I just wanted to add one more thing, and it's about the school curriculum. I think there's a lot more that can be done. It's still, in my view, and from what I'm hearing from the young people that we worked with, it's still very much considered a Eurocentric curriculum. So the examples, uh, the literature that they are reading is still very much Eurocentric. And I think, you know, the key characters are often white characters with Eurocentric cultures. And that gives the, the students a sense that, okay, this is the one that's the most powerful and it's the one that I should try to emulate when in fact that's, that shouldn't be the message. We should be uh, diversifying curriculum, making sure that whatever we share with children in schools, they are diverse. The books are diverse. The, the songs we sing, the history we study, uh, the social studies that we're, we're examining, that has to include a much broader range and not just focusing on the whiteness or the Eurocentric pieces. So I'll stop there. Yeah, Susie. No, thank you. This has been such an enlightening conversation. And um, Ruben, I'll let you end with any recommendation you might have to add, just a little piece. Yeah, uh, I think the only thing that I would like to add is that um, um, a support to teachers. Um, often um, we know that uh, teachers have other students that they are supporting. And if uh, students that are new have challenges are placed in their classes and without a support, they could also it could also become overwhelming. And so everybody needs support for everybody to succeed. So teachers need to be supported. Um, here in Winnipeg, uh, what worked well is the, the after-schooling program, the community-run uh, summer programs that are culturally based and that uh, 
you know, empowered people, but also give them opportunity to grow and to socialize and also to deal with their mental health stress. Agnes has shared her history and she is a very powerful person helping others. And sometimes people that are very powerful also need to be helped. And so some of these uh, youths uh, that are uh, come with interrupted schooling have more responsibility, you know, to support their families. And so sometimes they are left without support. So those uh, community-based uh, programs that with a targeted approach to support newcomer youth and support them holistically uh, are needed uh, in our society and, and, and also like to support teachers. And that will come with the changes of mentality in the places where policies are made because the way funding are allocated has to be where uh, this kind of discussion also need to take place so that when we're talking about supporting teachers, the money has to go to school. And then also like cultural um, uh, people that are placed in the school system that have the knowledge of how to navigate the system, but also have the cultural competence and have connection in the community to be able to provide not just only support to students, but also to support their families. And that idea of uh, transition on a school or a program that could, we don't have to have all the grade 12 created for us to further our education. There could be some ways that could help us get the academic that we need, but also like contribute to the society by working. Oh. This has been, as I mentioned earlier, a very enlightening discussion. And um, I want to say thank you for talking about your research. Um, also, and yet, and uh, Ruben sharing your personal experiences. But, you know, all three of you, Dr. Susie, Ruben, and yet, I want to say thanks for coming to The Refuge today. Mm-hmm.